Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. And before we get into our study this evening, let's take a moment of silence and utilize 1 John 1.9. Let us pray, and then I'll open in prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity for us to assemble together this evening so that we can study your word. And as you know, we're moving through specific doctrines uh, based out of uh, Gene Cunningham's book. And so I'm confident, Lord, that we're learning things that we can utilize in our personal lives so that we can make adjustments, thus being more Christ-like as we live our days, uh, our lives each and every day. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you have the book, I'm also going to... Flash it here on the monitors for those online. But I'd like you to take your books and follow along because there's some things here that we're going to look at. We're on page 33. And I don't know if anybody did the assignment or we have this mini assignment, which is to kind of look at the topics and see if you can come up with some material for yourselves. So, for example, uh, this topic here is called the five commands for Christian soldiers. So Pastor Gene writes down five things that he thinks are imperatives, and they are, but as far as material is concerned and challenging yourselves, I've asked you all to kind of look at the topics and come up with your own material so that you can grow and you can be challenged and to be exposed to things that maybe you didn't know as per your own personal studies. So for starters, let's just look at what he says here. We're looking at 1 Peter 5, 8, which says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somehow someone to devour. And he cites 1 Peter 5, 8. So... And then he's going to go on and we're going to look just briefly. And then I'm going to give you, I found nine. In fact, let's just scroll through this and then we're going to look at my nine so that you can see what I'm looking for. So number one, he he says, be on the alert. And if you look there, he says the present imperative is a command to habitual vigilance. So I think I wrote this word down here so that we can write it down in our notes if we're the type that likes to write down notes. And I know some of you are. And it's the Greek word gragogario. It's also on the bottom. Gragogario. And it's in the imperative, present imperative. Present tense means it's something we'd be aiming for. Imperative mood is, it's not optional. This is something that we must do. So we must be constantly in the habitual vigilant mode. Thomas Jefferson said, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Right? Jesus constantly challenges disciples to spiritual vigilance. Be on guard, proskeo. And he says, so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. He cites Luke twenty-one thirty-four. 
But keep on the alert. There's that word again. Agrupneo. At all times praying that you may have what? Strength. Muscle. To escape all those things that are about to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Luke 21, 36. So that's what he has on be on the alert. Then on the next page, I'll just swipe to the next. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Histame is the word here. Present imperative was the battle cry of the elite Roman soldiers. And this we, in this room, we have several soldiers, right? It's the battle cry, and it meant to hold your ground in the face of enemy assault. So you stand your ground. Paul uses this, this word four times in Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. This is the place that we look for when we're talking about the armor of God. In verse 11, notice. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. There's that word stand, histamine. And be able to stand against the wiles or the deceptions of the devil. For we do not wrestle or fight or war against flesh and blood. That's not our enemy. Although sometimes we feel like that. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, satanic, against spiritual host of the wickedness, again, demonic, wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. By the way, have you ever thought about what the armor of God consists of? What is the armor of God in simple terms? Metaphor, okay, but what is it for? What does it represent? Protection. Protection. But if someone says, well, bottom line it for me, I want to know what the armor of God is. Am I putting on a breastplate? Am I putting on a, a helmet? Okay, so what is it? Filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm still lost. This is my first time in Bible class. And I, I want to know the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate, this shod your feet with sandals. Help me out. Do I go out to Walmart and buy these? Or do I go to the exchange and look for these? Um, okay. So then when it says, be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God, verse 11. What are we putting on? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in simple terms, what is that? Spiritual protection, getting closer, getting closer. But if you're someone's in class and they said, "Well, Rick, I just I want to dial it in a, just a little bit more, Peggy. 
You know, I know it's all biblical because it's in the Bible. But what does that consist of? And I know Laura said, verse 14, verse 17, the helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Very good. Truth. So each of these... What's that, David? Gospel of peace. Good. We're getting there. Faith. So each of these are what? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. What are we studying? We're studying... Well, here's the word. Okay, it's a field manual consisting of... Basic. Okay, very good. You're good, David. It starts with a D. Very good. Each of those consists of doctrine. Think about it. When we say put on the armor of God, if you're from a different denomination or persuasion, they may take that differently. Right. They won't know what doctrine is, but if they say, well, you got to slay him in the spirit. Have you heard that before? You got to rebuke him. I'm talking about different denominations, right? So they may look at this and say, well, brother, you, you what this means is you got to slay him in the spirit. You got to cast him out. That's with a particular denomination, right? I'm not picking on any denomination, but that's the case, right? Maybe I am. But no, you know what I'm saying though, right? So if you bottom line it, what we're seeing in Ephesians 6, it's a category in a list of doctrines, particular doctrines. So they may not understand what it is, but that's where you come in. You have to expound on those doctrines. The sword, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. What is the word of God? Help me out. What's the word of God? It's the New King James Version, right? It's the whole Bible. It's the mind of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. It's the Word of God, which is alive and powerful. We know that verse. So when we talk to people about Ephesians 6, it's really about specific doctrines. It's there right in front of us. And this will allow us to be strong in the Lord, strong in the power of His might. And while we do that, we're putting on the whole armor of God, which consists of 14 all the way down. That will allow us to handle 12 to 13. 13 says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Doctrine of the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news. What's the good news? Jesus Christ came, rose on the third day, gave his life for us so that we might have life. Those are basics, basic doctrines, basic field manual. This is a, gentlemen, soldiers, what's a field manual? Those who've been in the service, what are, what is a field manual to you? Instructions on how to perform in war. Basic doctrines. Basic doctrines. There you go, Rick. 
basic doctrines, field manual out there. This is why we're doing this. This is basic doctrines for out there. Is it necessarily for those who are grounded? Not necessarily, but why not sweep and make sure not only that all the bases are covered, but everyone in the congregation and those online and those online and online and online are going to get exposed to these truths. Because we're, we're living in a day and age and our culture is very, very topsy-turvy. And the average Christian today are not strong enough to stand on their own two feet. They hear a door. I don't know, did the JWs come knocking on the door here? Not really? California, oh my gosh, every Saturday. More Mormons. More Mormons, okay. I used to love having them come over the door. One time, I specifically, you know, they like to schedule a time when they can come and visit you. Because when you're busy, you just have to say, I'm, I'm kind of busy right now. Oh, can we come back next Saturday? Well, what's, what's, what's a good day for you? Oh, next Saturday I'm fine. And I set it up so that the other, the JWs will come next Saturday. And so I've got Mormons there, JWs there. And I'm like, okay, why should I believe you? Why should I believe you? So they're both having it out. I'm like, guys, there's only one truth. You guys are confusing me. I've always believed Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. You're telling me one thing, sir. You're telling me another thing. And I, now I'm really confused. And while well, they're a cult, they're pointing fingers at each other. And it's like, well, I thought both of you are cults. And they're like, no, no, they are. And so before they would leave, I'd say, you know, what I do know is um, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will give you everlasting life. And then they leave. They leave because they know I'm lost, according to them. Because I need to be baptized in their church by an elder and so on and so forth. So, basic doctrines are very, very key. It's a field manual. If you're out there, you're serving in the military, they would never, you would never tell your superior, oh, I don't need this because I know it all. You know, give me 50. You need this. Bring it with you. So stand firm in the faith. Paul uses the word four times. We looked at Ephesians 6 uh, by way of comparison. And we noticed that he used the word four times. Stand, stand, stand. You find this from 10 to 14. The soldier is enabled to stand firm by means of faith in the unchanging word of God. That is critical. That is very, very important. Our feet are planted on the foundation of the promises of God, Hebrews 6. And when we have put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, 14 to 18, through Bible study, which is the belt, spirituality and sanctification, another word is phase two, the breastplate, personal witness, which is the sandals, daily trust, shield of faith, eternal assurance, the helmet to protect you, application of God's word to life, that's the sword, and prayer, he calls it the logistical supply, we can then stand firm. Now, this word, act like men. Idridzo. Andridzo means to be manly or courageous. Another word for that, I'm looking at the bottom of 34, is to be brave. Be brave. Andridzo means to be manly or courageous or brave and in ancient Rome the first of the virtues taught and admired by 
admired was courage in battle. So for the soldier, courage in life comes from confidence in God. So you can all look at this on 34. So now you can look at the, the last two. Be strong. Let all be done in love. These are very, very important. So I'd like to highlight one and open our Bibles to this. And this will be the last. And then I want to share you my nine commands. So on the bottom of 35, who wants to, re- who can read a passage for me? Bottom of page 35? Yeah, 35. I want us to go to 2 Peter 1. And this will be the last thing we're going to look at, and then we're going to look at my notes. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 10. 2 Peter 1. You have it? Okay. You want all 10 verses? Yes, please. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. All right. Anything stand out to you here? One through ten. There's a lot of things here that pop in Second Peter one, one through ten. The divine love has given us all things that pertain to life, verse three, and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. You guys see that? So that is a very important passage because his divine power has what? Has given us all things that we would need for what? Life and godliness. So our sufficiency is found and rooted in Jesus Christ. Everything we would need for life and God. What's another word for godliness? What's another word for godliness? Spiritual? Spirituality. Spirituality. What else? How about holiness? Is that, that, that a, a, a fair word? Everything we would need for life and godliness and that pertains to life and godliness through... What do we need though? What is it coming through? What's the funnel? 
Through knowledge of what? Of Him. Who's the Him referring to? Who's the antecedent? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who called us by glory and virtue. The whole, the, the things that pertain to life, the divine power, the spiritual power, the horsepower that I've been talking about, He has given that so that we can, in all things that pertain to life here and now, and godliness or holiness comes through the knowledge of Him, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the second person of the Trinity. He was the one who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious. What's the word great and precious mean? Those are pregnant with terms, uh, uh, meaning great and precious. What's great mean? Superior. How about precious? Superior and precious promises. They come through these that you may be partakers of the divine nature. So we need to know what that great and precious promises are. We have to understand the impact of what it means when Paul says these are great and precious. If you have babies and they're considered great and precious to you, well, more so the Word of God. Why? Because we just read grace and peace is going to be multiplied to us in the knowledge, the acquisition of knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I think we missed something in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Is that important? That's an important uh, piece of truth there. Because now we're not supposed to just study about God the Father. There's a distinction. God and who? Jesus Christ. So he says, grace and peace will be multiplied to you through two persons of the Godhead. The two persons are God the Father, God the Son. You guys see that? So if we miss out on that, we just study about Jesus, we're missing out on the explosive multiplication effect that can come when grace and peace could have been multiplied to us as we study the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we have to make it a habit and a point to study both. What can you tell me about God the Father? Hmm? Creator. Very good. God the Father is the creator. He's the creator of the plan, the protocol plan of God. What about God the Son? He was the light. He was the light. I always thought that God the Father was the planner and the Lord Jesus Christ actually did the creating. You know, I, I realize what it says, mm-hmm. you know, but um, it's, um, it's subject to knowledgeable interpretation, I think. And also, depending on the passage that we're looking at, because you'll see the triune Godhead all involved with different aspects. Who ra- who rose Jesus from the dead? Well, 
this question, who raised Jesus from the dead? All three of them. Destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. But the Father raised Jesus as well. Same with God the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will give power or life to your mortal bodies. So it depends on the context. Because in Colossians 1, who is the creator of all things there? Jesus. But you'll also find places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is said to have been created, who created. All three are found involved with the plan of God in one way or another. So... Keep me honest on something. It's a question, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scripture says no one has seen God the Father at any time. Right. Jesus Christ, He has re- revealed Him. I believe there's a, a time in the future when we will see God the Father. I believe so. Because there'll, there's no more issue. I don't know if it specifically says that. I don't know of a place. I, I think the primary reason why we can't look at God is because of His holiness. And we would be destroyed. Okay. So it's, in, hard to, it, know, it's it, very hard. It's really hard to grasp that. You know, you figure there never was a time when He didn't exist. And for the scripture to say, no one has seen God the Father at any time. Right. But, and I don't want to get you off on a rabbit trail, but mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it talks about the ancient of days over Daniel. Mm-hmm. And I understand that is God the Father. So, I mean, I don't know. It's very, it's a lot to put together. It is. Okay. So, maybe... Uh, I really wasn't questioning. <laughs> Not really, but... Uh, you gave us your your input, and I appreciate that. So anyways, precious, great and precious promises. And so I want us to see that that's multiplied as we acquire knowledge of the Father and Jesus Christ. I think I talked about this last year briefly as we were moving through basics. And But verse 3, His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory and virtue by which he has given to us uh, great and precious promises so that's important for us to know those great and precious promises are for us to utilize on a daily and consistent basis depending on who you listen to some say there's 5,000 promises some say that there's 8,000 have you guys heard of anything else? I heard seven. Seven. Seven thousand. Seven thousand. Okay, I heard five, eight, seven. Do I hear any higher? Sold. Sold. So, yeah, there's a lot of promises, but then we have to split that up dispensationally. So, All right, let me show you what I came up with here. Remember, I I like to take this book or any book that we're looking at, and in my free time, as I go through the topics that I am familiar with, I'd like to ask myself, suppose Scott said, hey, um, so-and-so can't make it today. Can you cover and teach on the five commands for Christian soldiers? Uh, what time? 7.30 on the dot. Can we make it 6.30? Uh, 
7.30. So I'm there. Now I have to come up with something related to five commands for the Christian soldier. Can I come comb through the scripture? Can I do my research and come up with five commands for being... Five commands for Christian soldiers or believers, in other words. And I... I push myself to see what I can come up with after exhaustive research. So I came up with nine. Nine, okay. So first of all, number one, here's one of the commands. We looked at Pastor Jeans and you have the book. I'm not intending to go through all of it, though we met, uh, we hit most of it. Number one, we're commanded as a, as a Christian soldier to put on the armor of God, which is what we saw, right? The importance of being spiritually prepared for battle by putting on the armor of God, which includes the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So again, I'm just running through my mind and doing the research. What can I come up with if Bill wanted me to come up here and cover the five commands for Christian soldiers? So that's number one. Number two, fight the good fight. That's number two. We're, com- we're commanded to fight the good fight in 1 Timothy 6.2. This command encourages believers to persevere in their faith and to resist the temptations and trials that come our way. It also implies that the Christian life is a battle that requires courage, determination, and what? Staying power, endurance. Because it's rough. It's not always easy. Sometimes the conflict is even within our own home. So we're to fight the good faith. Hang in there. Recognizing that God would never give us anything we can't handle. So if we fight the good fight and we recognize that we're mandated to do this, then He expects us to follow through. He wants us, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. Bill, could you read 1 Timothy 6.12? Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay, very good. So again, we're commanded to fight the good fight, right there, 1 Timothy 6.12. So that's what popped as I was doing research command, uh, what can we do uh, to acquiesce to the commands as a soldier? What can I come up with for Christian soldiers? Fight the good fight. Many of you here are soldiers. You know how it is to be prepared and be ready to squabble if need be, to fight for your country. Fight for your country. So put on, uh, fight the good fight. Number three. This this one is a little difficult. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew five forty four. Not optional. Not optional. This command challenges the believers to show love and compassion even to their enemies and those who oppose them. Do you have anybody that opposes you? Sometimes we have people that oppose or resist us, right? We're supposed to love them and pray for those who resist you, who oppose you. And... This reflects the teachings of Jesus on 
when he says, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. So that's one, two, three. And there's six more. One, two, three. Put on the armor. Fight the good fight. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Number four. Obey your superiors and those in authority. Romans 13.1 This command emphasizes the importance of submitting to the governing authorities and following the orders of those in leadership position. It encourages soldiers to maintain discipline for authority while serving in the military. Rick, what would happen if a soldier would would resist his superior? Not sure about soldiers, a marine would be Yep. Court-martial. A marine. Yeah, marine would be court-martial. He would be court-martialed. Okay. Right, Scott? Right. Did you take him out like that? Okay, so they'd be court-martialed. Well, we are a part of the Marine Corps of God. Maybe we'll use that. Right? What's the sound, uh, Rick? Hoorah. Hoorah, Okay. So obey your superior, your superiors and those in authority. Romans 13.1. No way to wiggle around that. This command emphasizes the importance of submitting to those who are governing authorities following the orders of those in leadership positions. It encourages soldiers or Marines to maintain discipline and respect while serving in the military or serving for God. Serving God. How about that? Serving God. Romans 13.1 reminds us as soldiers, we are to submit to His authority. And how do we submit to His authority? What's a way, an example of submitting to God's authority? Hmm? You obey His commands. Where are the commands found? In the Word of God. The Word of God. So when we are learning the Word of God, we don't have the freedom to disobey our superior, which is God, Because if we do, we will be court-martialed. And what will that look like? Discipline. Discipline. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. So we're to respond to that properly. Submit to His authority. Submit to the authority of God as found in His Word. That's number four. Fifth one I came up with. Seek peace and pursue it. What does that mean? Psalms 34, 14, 1 Peter 3, 11. Seek peace and pursue it. And I say, this command encourages us to actively work towards peace. And what's the next word? Reconciliation. Even during conflict, it reminds us to strive for peaceful resolutions and to promote harmony Whenever possible, rather than resorting to violence or aggression or disobedience. So we're to seek peace and pursue it. That's the force, uh, that's the focus of Psalm 34, 14 and 1 Peter 3, 11. Now what, why would I say violence or aggression? Because sometimes people who oppose us get very, very violent and they show their aggression. You see this, all you got to do is open your eyes and look around. Even in familial circles, they get very violent and they get very... 
they destroy property and the list goes on and on and on. So violence and aggression might seem like a strong word, but believe me, it's very apropos, especially today. So we are to seek peace and pursue it. That is our mandate. That's the imperative for us as a Christian soldier. Number five. Number six. Closely attached to five. Love thy neighbor as yourself. Again, not optional. Matthew 22, 39 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Rick, I don't I hope I don't put you on the spot here, but I think you do a great job with that. I think you do a great job with number six. Oh yeah. Because you're always talking about how you are trying to witness to your neighbor who happens to be not really open to it. And I I pray for your neighbor because I know you've been sharing how you... You know, it's very easy to me. I think think I probably have a a small portion of the gift of evangelism. You know, whatever, you know, it just comes up naturally. Right. I I just don't have any problem with it. Well, I believe you. Because it does come easy for you. I've had people very staunchly rejected. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's, that's their business, you know. Yeah. Well, that, the scripture talks about that too. If they hate me, they'll hate you. So, but the, the nice thing I, I appreciate about you is you do try. They haven't tried to kill me yet. <laughs> well, they tried to kill him, so yeah, maybe they'll try to. Sure. But the the point is, is that you are really trying to reach your neighbors. I know you've mentioned that several times. So keep on it. So there's nothing much to say here. It's self-explanatory, but we're told to love your neighbor as yourself. That's key, I believe, as one of the mandates for us as Christian soldiers. Because the scripture uh, links us to being a Christian soldier. So this command emphasizes the importance of showing love and kindness As Christian soldiers, it urges us to treat others with compassion and understanding, fostering unity and kindness. That's our job. It's not just one person's job. It's all of us. It's not just the pastor's job. All of these nine points is your job as well as mine. Did you know that? It's not just one person's job. It's all of our job because we're all enlisted in the Army or the Marine Corps of God. So that's number six. Number seven. We all know this verse. I wonder if we're actively obeying it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make all disciples of all nations outside of Springfield, Manasseh, Fort Belvoir, and so on, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, what's the context of this? Who's he talking to? He's, huh? He's talking to his disciples, right? He's talking to his disciples now, but how does that affect us? Is this for us? 
Okay. <clears throat> so how does how should this impact us as a local assembly here? What should we be doing to be faithful to this text, to be faithful to this imperative? What must we be doing as a local assembly in Springfield? Supporting our missionaries, is that the only way? What's that there? Should be witnessing. And Scott, I'm sorry, I missed you. So we should be witnessing. We should support missionaries. But he's talking immediately, contextually to his disciples. So I think by transference and by by virtue of what's recorded in scripture, that applies to us as well. We should be proactive in going out and making disciples, teaching them, getting them baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the point is, is that we should be involved somehow. So, I think that is very important for our churches. We should be proactive in this, not just uh, missionary work. That's important, but all nations, disciples of all nations, so that's more, much more than just, uh, you know, in Pakistan and other places, because he wants us to make an impact as well. It starts with us, actually. It starts with us. We're to go. We're to go and make disciples of all people, all nations, within our vicinity, at least. And sometimes you've heard other pastors say this, even in our, it starts with our own backyard. Some would put more focus on missionaries than doing the work themselves. And technically, I think Jesus would want us to start with our own efforts first and then go out there. I think it's a tag team effort. It's a joint effort with both. But I've heard of some that focus more on missionaries so that what? They don't have to do the witnessing. Because they'll sometimes say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of witnessing. Well, the scripture is clear. Do the work of on... What's it say? What else? An evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Who's that targeting? Who's that for? Everybody. Not just the pastors. Yeah, there's some that talk about pastors, but we're all supposed to do the work of an evangelist. So that means, what's an evangelist's job? What's their role? Spread the gospel. (laughs) Go out there and talk to people. I'm not talking about holding up a sign. Start with your friends. Start with your neighbors. Start with people that you know. You don't have to go out there and stand in the corner and say, by the way, turn or burn. No, you, you go out there and talk to people. Start with the people that you know, people that you, you work with, co-workers, people who you used to work with, people who you have contact with via email, via text messages or something. That way you have a lead so that you can win them over to Christ and be faithful to making disciples of all nations because it starts with us. I've never seen Jesus say, well, you are my disciples. I did invest three and a half years with you, but make sure you send other people out to make disciples. He invested his life in these 12 men so that he can harness their talent, their gifts, their efforts to get what we have currently. 
we are still feeling the impact of the disciples today. And the only difference between us and them is commitment. The C word, commitment. If we're all committed, I believe we can make the impact similar to that of the 12 disciples. I honestly believe that. Why? We have God the Holy Spirit resident in us. We have God's living word in its completed canon. Two sources of power. God the Holy Spirit, God's written word. Dual power sources right there. Massive horsepower right there for us. So as soldiers for Christ, believers are commissioned to spread the gospel, bringing others into the fold. This command emphasizes the missionary aspect of Christian service. Right? Number eight. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17 This is not optional. We are to pray on a regular basis without stopping. What does that mean? It means constant communication with God through prayer is crucial for the Christian soldier. So it doesn't mean you, you pray every second. It's just in the mode of being ready to communicate to Him just as you would with a friend. You don't, you don't have a hard time saying, well, what am I going to say to my friend today? No, you just speak freely. You don't have to come up with the proper words, the Adalith, Father in King of Kings, heavens of, Heaven of Heavens, all around the universe. You don't have to talk flowery. You just talk to Him. Say, Lord, you know, today I had a difficult day. I had hardship. I had challenges. My spouse, my kids, my work. You, you throw that out at God. Let Him know what's going on. Now you're having a relationship with God the Father. And that's what He desires. He desires to have a relationship with Him vertically so that He can then answer our prayers as we come to Him before the throne of grace. So as I mentioned last week and the week before, the disciples back during His his time, the time of Christ, would be surprised if they prayed and they didn't get their prayers answered. Today... We, we pray, we're surprised if God answers our prayers. So it's inverted. We should expect prayers to be answered, not because we're better, but because of who we are in Christ positionally and the fact that we have God, the Holy Spirit, resident in us. So faith is very important. And I think part of the reason why we don't see things today is we are not praying regularly. So constant communication, I believe, is... A key mandate for the Christian soldiers, that's us, because first of all, it's found in First Thessalonians 5. Is this optional? No. This is an imperative. This is something we must be doing. How is our prayer life? Do you remember how long Jesus prayed when he went to the mountain and he told his disciples to stand watch? An hour. Could you not stand watch for but an hour? They kept falling asleep. So we have an insight in the prayer life of Jesus. And he said, could you not stand watch for but an hour? And here we are. We we go home and we lay down and we put the blanket over our head. Oh, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for taking care of me. And I'll pray more tomorrow when I have the energy. In Jesus' name, amen. It shouldn't be like that, to be honest. I mean, we see things like this. Pray without ceasing. So you can see that there is an element of importance here. Don't stop praying. Why? That's our lifeline. 
That's our lifeline. He, we hear him through his word. He hears us through our prayers. Does that mean he doesn't know what's going on in our heart and our soul or mind? No, of course he knows all things. But if we remove the prayer, what happens if we remove prayer? What if we don't pray to God? What are we destroying? Relationship is severed. Relationship has to be two ways. Communication, two ways. From him to us, from us to him. We don't want to say, well, he knows all things. He knows our prayer before we even say it. That is true. That's a part of his essence. He's omniscient. But he desires us to talk to him. Proof, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. His disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. Remember that? Teach us how to pray. Oh, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that mean, on earth as it is in heaven? Yep. That's right. He wants the things in heaven to be brought down here on earth. We would love for it to be just like heaven here. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the idea of Jesus' prayer. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth kind of just like it is in heaven. The only way that that could happen, I mean, of course, that's going to be during the millennium. But the only way that we can see any movement in that air, in that direction is if the believers would lock shields, lock shoulders, and advance the cause of Christ. Pray without ceasing, doing one through seven, one through eight, and now number nine. I think this is very important as well. You've heard me talk about this because this is one of my favorite verses. It's the way to change uh, inwardly. Do not be like this world. Do not be conformed. Do not be molded to this world. But be transformed. How? By trying harder. Renewing of the mind. What's that mean? Get rid of human viewpoint and adopt the divine viewpoint. How do we do that, practically speaking? Word of God. Do not be like this world. How do we do that? By being trans, by be trans, but be transformed. That word transform is in the passive voice. And it's the Greek word metamorphuo. It's transformation on the inside. So that when you renew your mind, it happens to you. It's not something you try. You're not trying to be like, oh, I'm not going to be like the world. Pick up your cross, Darren. Follow Jesus. It's not like that. Some will teach that. They will say, you know what? Unless you follow Jesus, change your lifestyle, you can't be a Christian soldier. You can't be a Christian. You cannot be saved unless you change your life. Because he says, don't be like the world. Don't be molded into the world system. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So many cut off the verse and they look at 9a 
And they don't look at 9b. They don't look at the second half of verse 12. Uh, verse 12 says, Do not be conformant to this world, but be transformed. And again, that word is passive in voice, which means the subject is being acted upon by an external force. Who's the external force? God the Holy Spirit, coupled with the Word of God. You've got two sources of power. Remember what I said earlier. You've got God's living Word. The Word of God is alive and powerful. And you've got God the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 11, I believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will give life or power to your mortal bodies. So you've got the Word of God that's alive and power. And you've got God the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead who promises to give you life to your mortal bodies. That's supreme power. And when you connect those two together, God's living word, God, God's the Holy Spirit. He came to, to be our assistant. He came to be our tutor. He came to illuminate truth so that when we study it, we can understand it. But two power sources there that will help us be light and salt. So that we can make an impact. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? These nine points are for you and for me as Christian soldiers. And the last one is one of my favorite ones because we sometimes struggle with, ah, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But you know what? You don't have to try. Remember what I said last year? It's hard to be a Christian. What was my answer? It's impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible to be a Christian. If you're trying to live on it, Christian life in your own strength, it's impossible. God the Father would have said, Look, you know what? I didn't know Scott can pull it off on his own strength. Son, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to send the Holy Spirit. It's possible for hum- humanity to live in their own strength and please me. Did he say that? No. We need help. We need help. So all three convened, came together, eternity passed, God the Father created the plan, God the Son executed the plan, God the Holy Spirit now empowers each and every one of us so that we can do greater works. Greater works. What do you mean? More more miracles? No. Greater in, as far as scope. Because when Jesus was here, He would walk with His disciples, He can only be at one place at a time. One place at a time. With God the Holy Spirit resident in each and every one of us, wherever we go, we have Him with us, resident in us, so that we have the mind of Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the horsepower needed to say no to sin, yes to godliness, we have peace that surpasses all understanding, we have God the Holy Spirit who will bring to remembrance the things that we've studied together. There's no way of stopping us. The adversary cannot even stop us. The gates of hell will not prevail. Didn't it say that? The church is going to march forward and the gates of hell cannot hold it back. So the idea here is that the church should be advancing. The gates of hell comes in front of the church and it just plow, the church plows the gates over because there's no way to stop the church as it's exercising one through nine and one through five as found in the book for Gene Cunningham. So you take the nine plus five, how many is nine plus five? Twelve. Very good, Scott. You're you're good with math. We've got twelve points here. <laughs> okay, well, I take that back, Scott. So fourteen points. Why we should be living in power. 
14 points. Power. Gene's book. Let me just um, read it so you guys don't have to. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I just want to remind you what we just looked at. Be on the alert. That's a mandate. That's an imperative. Be on the alert. Number two. Stand firm in the faith. That's not optional. Stand firm in the faith. What's that mean? Walk by faith, not by sight. You get hit with problems. It's okay. Stand in faith. Don't look at the circumstances. Look at God through the lens of faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Number three, act like men. What's another way of saying that? Be brave. Be brave. God is not going to say that unless some would be afraid. Okay? Whatever's there in the scriptures is there for us to know what could happen to us. So some of us, not necessarily here, but online or anywhere else who might be listening to this, might be timid, might be afraid. That's why we're reminded God did not not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But he said, be brave, act like men. That means, even as women, we're to be brave. That's the whole idea. To be, when it said, when Gene says in number three, act like men, Andridzo, he just wants us to be courageous. Why will we be courageous? I'm a woman, I'm a lady, what doesn't matter because you've got the supreme power source of the universe backing you up. He's in your corner, he will always take care of you, but you have to do your part. And what's that part? Stand in faith. Act mature. Act bravely because God's on your side. Number four, be strong. What does it mean to be strong? Be strong. Keep your head up high. Why? Because of what we've just covered thus far. It means that we can implode at times, but we can get ourselves back up. Pick ourselves up. Say, okay, Lord, I blew it. Be strong. Get back up and play ball again. Number five, let all be done in love. We're not bulldozing people over... We're to express love, the divine love, as per number five. Let all be done in love. Divine love is the greatest virtue and strength. So there you have the five points from Gene's book, the field uh, basic training field manual, plus my nine. So I went beyond the five because, like I said, if I had an assignment to cover, and in California, I've done this several times where a, a pastor in the local area will say, hey, Pastor Cortez, would you, could you cover for me? I have an emergency. I need to leave the country. I leave the, need to leave the state and, and take care of some personal things. I said, sure. What day? Which Sunday? Uh, next Sunday. Oh, what, are, what do you want me to cover? This okay? Uh, yeah, I think I could put. I think I could put something together. And after that, I've trained myself to to see to say, okay, I know these truths here in this little booklet. But suppose I had to teach it. Suppose I met with someone for coffee, and they said, "Could you tell me what, uh, for example, what does it mean to be spiritual? What spirituality mean? Because." In my work, there's everyone is spiritual. I'm spiritual, man. I'm very spiritual. What's that mean today? It doesn't mean what the Bible says. So if someone were to ask you any of these things, are you in a position to interact with that? That way, even the things that you think you know, maybe you do know, 
you're training yourself and you're pushing yourself to develop some some knowledge in God's word, God's doctrines, so that you're ready and prepared to interact with people should that time comes. Because that's part of, um, I think, uh, Mike is working on some... Mike, are you working on apologetics? Are you training the kids on basic... Oh, right yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if... Oh, is that the direction you want to go later on? Apologetics? Because that's actually uh, part of ap- apologetics. If you can take these, these truths, and answer them, what's, what's the difference between your spirituality and uh, the co-workers at my work? Everyone's spiritual. They're one with nature. What would you say? Now what? Even though you are familiar with these doctrines... Can you sit there and define spirituality based on God's word? So someone says, uh, Bill, you know, my neighbors or my co-workers, they're, they said they're spiritual. Are they saved? Because, and then Bill says, well, what do you mean they're spiritual? Well, you know, they get together every other weekend and they go up in, uh, the forest and they kind of dance around in one circle and they're spiritual. They're one with nature. They're spiritual, Bill. Now, Bill has to sit there and say, well, you know, the doctrine of spirituality, what does it mean, biblically speaking, what it means to be spiritual? Can you interact with someone who gives you that kind of a question? And in a very subtle way, that's part of apologetics. That's why I asked Mike. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But apologetics is being being able to give every man an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within you, 1 Peter 3.15. That's also not optional. That's not optional. You should know some basic truth, hence this book. So when we go to this, I'm wanting us to be so comfortable with this, not just, oh, I've studied it for a while, for several years, but can you interact with it? Because that's when it counts when someone else is there in front of you. It's one thing to study it together and say, oh, yeah, I know what it means, I know what it means, but how about out there? Out there. What, where is it more important? In here or out there? Out there. We can go around in circles and talk about what we know. But what about when it's out there when the person really, really, really wants to know? You know what, Scott? You've been saying I need to believe in Jesus. But, you know, help me out here as we're going to close. Um, and you guys can jump in too. You know, Christianity is built on one man and I said and you know um, there's a lot of religions out there I mean are you really saying that your system Christianity is the only religion out there that is going to save me from hell come on is your loving God going to send me or those people out in the islands that don't know Jesus is that the loving God that the Bible talks about do they all have to do and believe what you believe in? Do they have to go to national capital and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I want to be a member? Is that what it takes? They have to be a member of your church and believe what you believe? Or all those people out in Uganda or in the, up in the hills in the Philippines, there's some tribal people there that are still not civilized and they're, they, don't, they don't know anything. They have never heard of McDonald's. They, they eat coconuts that are in tree. They run up the tree and they can fetch their own coconut with a bolo knife and that's how they survive. And they, they live off the land. So please don't tell me your loving God is not going to accept them 
who's never heard of Jesus Christ and he's going to send them to the lake of fire and they're going to burn and burn and burn the doctrine of hell or something? Are you telling me that they're all going to die like that? Are you honestly going to tell me that Jesus, the, the love, the, that God the Father who for God so loved the world is going to ignore those people out there in the island who live barely clothed because they don't know what clothes are? They don't work. They live off the land. Um, please don't tell me your God is going to send them to hell, Scott. I mean, is that really love? Is that loving? I mean, I know people in the in the up in the mountains that are mountain people. They've never. They can't even read. Come on, is God going to send them to hell? Mike, is God going to send a bill, Darren? Yes. He's going to send them to hell. Oh, I'm not going to your church then. Okay, so. So, so it's possible that they can say get saved. Okay. Okay. Mike. Okay. Yeah. So. God's country. Okay. Okay. Well, see, I, I give this example because that's what this is about. That is a perfect example of why we're studying the basics so that we can go back and hit it again and be familiar with it in, in a way that is like the back of our hand. Because inevitably, someone is going to ask you about one of these things in this little book. And it's better to be ready. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. You heard that before? So that's why I want us to have it. So that as soldiers, we're prepared. I mean, as soldiers, how many times did you prepare? Just once? You got trained and drilled over and over and over or Mike, maybe you didn't. Okay. Okay. Well. All right. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. But hopefully, you guys enjoyed this because that's the sense and the direction that we're taking the study, and that's why I opted for this several months ago. So. Having said that, I'm not sure if um, we have anybody online. Oh, we have four. Okay, Marty, Steve, Karen, welcome. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. We are out of time. Sorry about being over time a little bit, but uh, I enjoyed the interaction tonight. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to assemble together safely so that we can study your word. We know that this is of utmost importance for those who are believers in Christ. 
Jesus himself said, Man shall not live by food alone or by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, Father, it's not like we would eat steak once and then say, I don't want to eat it again because I know how it tastes. And so, likewise, Father, we will go over key verses, key doctrines over and over and over because there is benefit to hitting it over and over and over. That helps us remember it so that when we're in the front lines, we can utilize it. We can draw and engage the enemy if need be so that we can make a difference not only in our own personal lives but with the people around us as they're watching us, as they're observing us. As the life of Jesus has demonstrated in the Word of God through the Gospels, everywhere he went, he made an impact. And I'm confident, Lord, that as we continue to study in your word, inculcate the doctrines that we're studying, we truly will make an impact because it's not just our own time, it's not our own strength, but it's in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the greatest power source in the universe. And so we're grateful for the privilege that is ours in this dispensation. And what a wonderful uh, privilege it is to be living in this time where we could uh, we can see and witness firsthand how you're going to operate through the local church. We ask and pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.